Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hey, Southside Church. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, Today, we're going to be taking another step deeper into our discipleship pathway. If you've been with us over the last couple months, Pastor Jeff has been uh, leading us in Know God through the month of September. Uh, In the month of August, he kind of introduced each of the steps along our discipleship pathway, and it's know God. We want people to know God. We want people to find community. We want people to be growing deeper in their faith, and we ultimately want to do all of this to make disciples, not just here, but all over the world. Uh, and knowing God, it, it's, it's, you think, well, know God is for a, a person who doesn't know God. Well, know God is for everybody. Know God is for the unbeliever, the person who is lost, who has never professed faith in Christ, but know God is also for every single believer in our church family because we want to always be growing in our knowledge of who God is. And we do that primarily through reading through reading his word. So we want people to know God. We want people to ultimately, first and foremost, profess faith in Jesus Christ. As scripture says, to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them, uh, raised Christ from the dead. Uh, we want people to move from that to understanding more about who God is and to continuing to know God. And so this month, October, we're going to be looking at, we're not necessarily skipping a step, but we're going to be looking at growing deeper. Because no matter where we are in our spiritual walk with God, we're hopefully always growing deeper in our faith. And you may be, you may be thinking, well, uh, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? We, we say here a lot, we want to, our, our mission statement is to make real followers of Jesus Christ. Well, a real follower of Jesus Christ is always growing deeper. They're always growing deeper. And you think, well, Corey, I don't want just knowledge. And I don't want you to have just knowledge either. I want you to move from knowing about God to knowing who God is. And we see that through how he reveals himself in his word. Uh, And you may be thinking, well, the discipleship pathway, it's helpful in in directing me to take a next step, Corey. It, 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 It kind of gives me an action step. But what are some how does the how does the Bible describe like what are some descriptions of what a a real follower of Jesus is in the Bible? Well, we've we've kind of we've looked at it and we've we've looked at God's word and we've seen how God's word has continually and repeatedly described followers of Christ and and that's kind of what led us to develop a discipleship pathway and we didn't create the discipleship pathway in order um, for you to have like a checklist of things. Well, I've done this one, I've done this one, and then kind of check out. No, we, we've, as a follower of Christ, we are committing to a lifelong process of the discipleship pathway. As a believer, I'm always on the discipleship pathway. I'm committing to it, and I'm growing in it. And growing deeper is something that we're hopefully always doing as a follower of Jesus Christ. And We've come up with the discipleship pathway, which is four steps, and I've already said those. Know God, find community, grow deeper, and make disciples. Uh, But the descriptors uh, that we see more specifically in God's Word as as being consistently used to describe a follower of Jesus is first a a member of the family of God. When When you accept Jesus, when you place faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Scripture says that you become a son or daughter of God. And not only do you become a family member, but uh, you, are, you are invested into that family so much that you are 
a worshiper of that God, the God that would send his son to this earth to die for his creations. So we're going to worship that God. But not only are we a worshiper, we're a servant and a, a steward. We're going to we're going to follow Christ's example by serving him, but we're also going to, all the resources and the, the talents and the gifts that God has given us, we're going to steward those to the glory of God. And we're also going to be a witness to, to how great he is, to the love of our great father, to those who are around us, and to the nations. Uh, and so I have the privilege today of talking about the first characteristic of being a, a, a family member, a a member of the family of God. And so we, we use terms around here, and it seems like we've used them a lot more recently, and so I don't want to assume anything today. I don't want to assume you're here and you, you, you know the terms that I'm going to be using. So I want to define some terms and, and try to set up what we're going to be talking about before we dive into the passage of Scripture that we're going to be uh, sitting in today. Uh, we've said here recently, we've say terms like, Big C church or little C church, and you, you may not have a clue what that means, and, and that's okay. Uh, so I want to kind of define what we mean when we say those terms. So belonging to the big C church is another way of saying that you belong to the, the universal church, the, the church that of every single person who has been saved by grace through faith uh, over all over the world at all times. So it's kind of the, the big view of belonging to the whole family of God, which consists of every person who has been saved by grace through faith from the beginning of time. And then we say terms like the little C church. Uh, what does that mean? Well, when you say that you're a part of the little C church, it's a way of saying that you belong to a localized expression, like a Southside church. You belong to a local expression of the family of God, of, of God's family. So this is the small, more tangible way of viewing belonging to the family of God, belonging to and being a contributing part of those who have been saved by grace through faith at the local church of Southside Church, Galilee Christian Church, Nicholson Baptist Church, Jefferson Church, wherever, those who have professed Jesus Christ as Savior and are a part of those local, those local churches. Those are families of God, but we're all a part of the family of God, if we've been saved by grace through faith. And so that's what we mean when we say big C church, little C church. And, and I get it. When, when pastors or teachers begin using family language, that, that, may not have, uh, that may not resonate well with you. Maybe your only experience with, with family has been negative. Maybe your only experience with church has been negative. Or maybe your only experience with people who say they belong to a church is negative. But regardless of, of which of those statements describes your situation, that isn't God's design for the family, and that's certainly not God's design for His church. Um, something I don't have to tell you, but families are messy. Churches are messy. Why? Because they're filled with broken people. You can scowl the globe and you will never find the perfect family or the perfect church. And in the moment when you think you found the perfect church and you decide you want to join it, it will cease to be perfect because you've joined it. It would be the same for me. Churches and families are filled with imperfect people. But this is the way that God has designed 
for his church, his body. And we're going to get into talking about those terms here in just a second when we open up the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and so I, I, don't, I don't think when it comes to the family of God and how the family of God is supposed to operate, the local church is supposed to operate, when it comes to the, the, the men and women, the brothers and sisters in Christ that are, that are in those churches, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it captures the way that we are supposed to serve amongst one another, serve one another for the ultimate glory of God in the church. Um, so as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to kind of set some context a little because we're jumping into kind of the back third of the book of 1 Corinthians. And so there's a lot that happens in the first, the opening 11, uh, the opening 11 chapters. And to give you a little bit of insight into the book of 1 Corinthians, when I when I study the ancient city of Corinth, I can't help but think about the city of New Orleans. Uh, my family and I lived in the city of New Orleans for about two years um, when I was going to seminary there. And there are a lot of similarities to Corinth, where it's positioned uh, in the world, where New Orleans is on the, uh, the river, kind of all the cultures of the world kind of pass through there. And as a result of all the cultures of the world passing through there, they leave bits and pieces behind. Just about every religion in the world is represented in these two places. In Paul's day, Corinth was kind of a hub for spirituality. Uh, all the world religions were represented there. In New Orleans, the same is true. And with all of those things, in Corinth and in the city of New Orleans, there's also so much evidence for the brokenness of man. Homelessness is rampant. Sexual immorality is rampant. Uh, violence is rampant. And, and in ancient Corinth, that was true as well. And as we're going to find out, it was even true within the church at Corinth. And while we're going to camp out in chapter 12 today, if, if you were to go back and begin reading chapters 1 through 11, you would very quickly see that Paul's tone with the church at Corinth was very stern. This is a church that Paul had been very active in planting and it had been a couple of years since he had been there and he had heard that several things had been happening, had been going on. He had heard from some friends. He had received a letter from some other people in the church talking about various things that were going on. So these were some things that were going on in the church of Corinth when, when, as to why, what prompted Paul to write this letter. There was division amongst them over different teachers at the church very early on. I believe it's in chapter 1 that the, the church was beginning to divide. Well, I like Apollo, so I, I claim the teachings of Paul. And there began to be this division amongst them over who is the teacher at Corinth. Then Paul received a report about rampant sexual immorality that was going on within the church. There was legal issues between brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. There, there were divisions over views of how to worship, what to wear to worship and how they were to observe the Lord's Supper. Paul references a letter that he received from somebody in the church where they were, they were, they were, they were confused about what, what Paul had to say about certain teachings. Uh, what, did, what did Paul have to say about singleness? What did Paul have to say about marriage, divorce? What about widows or food offered to idols? And that's, what's bring, that's what brings us to chapter 12 and where Paul is addressing a particular division that had occurred over spiritual gifts and particularly people elevating certain spiritual gifts over others. And this is where I want us to kind of camp out today and think, um, because I think this chapter 
really reveals so much about about what life within the family of God, both the big C and little c church, is supposed to look like. And hopefully I'm, I'm going to give you what I want you to take away before you get lost in, in all the other things that we're about to talk about. So if you don't walk away with anything else today, walk away with this. God has designed his church to be so much more than it is. He's designed it to function much more purely than it does. And that we should never forsake the bride of Christ, which is the church, for something man has turned it into. The church matters so much to God that he stepped out of glory into his creation to die for it, to free it from the shackles of sin and condemnation. So fight for the church God wants us to be. And don't settle and don't, And don't leave because it's not what you want it to be as if your standard for God's church was higher than his. Fight for purity and unity in the church. Not because it's yours, but because God has gifted it to us for our good and his glory. So if you couldn't tell by the description of the city of Corinth, they were jacked up. They were messed up. Individuals in a very depraved culture. And Paul is addressing all of these issues. So let's dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to be reading in verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. That'll be also what's on the screen. So, verse 1 uh, it says, About matters of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know how when you were pagans, you were led to dumb idols, being led astray. Therefore, I am informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. We're going to take it bite size by bite size today, and I promise it's going to go a lot faster than you think it's going to. Um, So the very first section, the very first three verses, Paul is clearly communicating that he wants them to be informed about spiritual gifts. And so I don't don't want to assume that you know what I'm talking about when I say spiritual gifts. I want to give you kind of a a working definition for what spiritual giftedness is. Uh, And so kind of the process when uh, Scripture, according to the teaching of Scripture, every single person who who has professed faith in Jesus Christ has placed genuine faith in Jesus Christ, his, his, his spirit, the, the literal spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. And as a, as a result of that, it, we begin, we're given, we're gifted a, a spiritual gift, a characteristic of what Jesus lived out when he was on this earth. Uh, we call these spiritual gifts. We'll, we'll actually list some of them off here in just a second from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, these gifts are different from talents and abilities. You think, well, yeah, I can, I can, I'm really athletic. That's a that's a spiritual giftedness, right? No, that's a that's a talent and that's ability. And yes, those are God given, but God gives talents and abilities to all of His creations, unbelievers and believers alike. Spiritual gifts are 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 different, and they're. Here's the definition, kind of that we're going to work with today. You you could probably find various definitions of what spiritual giftedness is 
is, but we're going to work with this one. Spiritual gifts are the very characteristics of Jesus Christ intended to be used for the specific purpose of ministering to and serving within the body of Christ, the church. And so Paul says, these are spiritual gifts. I do not want you to be unaware. Paul wanted Corinth to be educated on what spiritual gifts, what they were. And, and I believe this is one takeaway from us, that we, we need to not only know what they are, we need to know what our gift is, how God has gifted us. If you, be, if, you, if you profess faith in Jesus and you're not currently serving or active in any particular part of the life of the church, you are not serving according to the giftedness that God has given you. So we not only need to know what they are, we need to know how God has gifted us, and we need to know how God has gifted us so that we can serve in the capacity in which God has given, given to us. Because if we're operating outside of our giftedness, we're going to be worn out. We're going to be tired. We're going to be exhausted. We're not going to even want to like going and serving at church, probably because we're serving outside of our giftedness. In verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand. Paul doesn't want there to be any misunderstanding about what spiritual giftedness is And God speaking through Paul here, he didn't want them to just be able to understand spiritual gifts. He wanted them to be able to discern who was, who was practicing authentic spiritual giftedness and who was just a poser. And in, and in saying the words that he says in verse 3, he says two phrases. He says, Jesus is cursed. He says, uh, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's teaching the principle that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7. I believe I put these verses up here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And it says, this is Jesus speaking kind of on the back end of the Sermon of the Mount. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name, and then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Paul is reminding the church at Corinth that Jesus, and, and just as Jesus did before, before Paul did, that people can profess with their mouths a closeness to Jesus, but their hearts can be far from him. And Paul is saying that true commitment to Jesus is so much deeper than surface-level Christianity. Because he says, the Christianity that you're seeing lived out around you at the Church of Corinth, he says, that's surface-level Christianity. Because Paul is saying, don't just say that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. He says, live it out. And let, and let the world see the evidence. If if, if you're only walking the walk and not talking the talk, Paul is saying, get out of the way. And so the very first few verses of this chapter, Paul is, is kind of informing, he's, he's defining the terms before he dives into this next part in verses 4 through 11. So verse 4, it says, Now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. So he kind of repeats himself, which is a significant thing. Do not be unaware. If he repeats himself, if God says it one time, pay attention. If God says it multiple times, you need to really sit up and pay attention. Because there are different ministries, but the same 
Lord. Uh, there are different ministries with the same Lord. Uh, a demonstration of the spirits given to each person to produce what is beneficial. So that's kind of the purpose statement. We'll talk about that in just a second. To one is given the message of wisdom through the, uh, through the spirit. To another, the message of knowledge the, by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages. But one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Verse 4, it says there are different Different gifts, but the same Spirit. If you notice that, it talks about the same. It says that here. uh, They're but one and the same. Kind of a key thing to notice. He says one, he says the same. He's he's trying to portray the message that there is unity in the diversity of these gifts. There are several gifts, but because they come from the same Spirit, they are to bring unity, and they are to accomplish one mission. So Paul is saying that there are different gifts and and God may use them in different ways depending on the person, depending on the context, depending on the situation, but they are given by the same Spirit. In verse 7, he kind of states the purpose. uh, I won't click back to it, but it's a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. Another translation says, for the common good. And God is speaking through Paul here as in an attempt not to leave the purpose of the gifts open to interpretation. He's telling them what the gifts' purpose are. He says, he says the gifts are distributed so that they may be beneficial or used for the common good. And you think, well, beneficial for who? Used for the common good of what? Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church at Corinth. And so Paul is saying that the gifts that God has given to each of the believers in order to honor God Through the use of those gifts, they must be edifying and helpful to the church, the local church at Corinth. And I think this is a principle we can take away. Regardless of what gifting God has given to you, you've got to be using it in order to honor Him. And we've got to be able to, we're using it to honor Him ultimately, but we're not honoring Him if we're dishonoring our brother through the use of our our giftedness. So Paul is saying... We are using our gifts together. Like it's uh, uh, on stage, you may, you may hear, hear, hear somebody singing a worship song and you'll hear, you'll hear somebody singing the melody. Hopefully they're singing the melody. They're, they may be singing a, a tenor or an alto. They may be singing a, a soprano. Or, but they're all singing maybe on a different frequency. They're, they're expressing a different, a different ability or a different talent in their, uh, their range, but it it's creates something called harmony. And God is saying, I gave you the same spirit. He's manifesting himself in different ways and different gifts amongst all the believers there at the church of Corinth. And he's saying that to us today. He's he's giving us a giftedness. But we're to use it for unity and harmony when we practice those in the church. And this can only happen. There can only be unity when when we know what our gifting is, when we're actually using that gifting within the body of believers, and when we do so appropriately and faithfully. 
Verses 8 through 10, and, and, and if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you may think, oh yeah, he's going to get to talking about the gift of tongues. You may start rubbing your hands together and saying, yes, 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 can't wait for somebody to teach on this. And I think to teach on what the actual gifts are is to miss the point of this passage. So I'm not getting lost in the actual giftings, even though he does list them here. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily a comprehensive list. You partner this with Romans 12, 1 Peter 1 Peter 4, and then I think we get kind of a comprehensive list of what the, the gifts of the Spirit are. But I think to, to focus on the actual gifts themselves here is to miss the point. Paul is, Paul is being, he's, he's overkilling it right now, saying same and one. And when we get here in just a second, he's really going to, to uh, really go all in on the analogy of the body. But he's, he's trying to set up that there is unity in the diversity of gifts. There is no reason for you to lord your gift over somebody else's because without that one, you don't serve as the body. You don't serve well because there is no harmony. Where there is disunity, there is disobedience. And so Paul is teaching that the gifts were given to bring about unity, not disagreement, not disunity, but it was to bring, bring together unity and harmony within the church at Corinth. Notice how he closes that passage in verse 11. It says, The same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each one as He wills. So in God's great wisdom, He allows Paul to write these words here to begin kind of the, the corrective part of the spiritual, the spiritual gifts conversation, uh, which we'll get into in verses 12 through 31. Paul is saying here, Since the same Spirit is active in all of these, we can rest assured that, that these gifts are not given to individuals to cause disunity or dysfunction between the brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's important to know that before he launches into verse, verse 12. And because the same Spirit, because the same Spirit gave these gifts, we can, we can rest assured that, that God, that God is, is, is very intentional and purposeful in who He gives what gift. And this means that spiritual giftedness is something that you can't produce in your own power. And it's not something intended to give yourself glory, but rather to give glory to God. So he's setting, he's setting his argument up. So obviously this is something that the church of Corinth struggled with. They struggled with, with using the gift that God had given them to give themselves pats on the back. And Paul is saying, that's not what the gifts are for. You're using them to cause disagreements and disunity. That's not what the gift is for. So dive in with me in verse, verse 12. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many parts. All right, so if you want to keep count, you count how many times Paul uses, uses the word one, uses the word or uses the words body, uh, members, or parts. And then we'll come back to that here in just a second. Uh, but for as the body is one and has many parts, and all are the parts of, the, of, of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and, and we were all made to drink of, of one spirit. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the Ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. And in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. Very important to remember. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have have uh, have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need for clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it And God has placed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then the gifts of healing, helping, managing various kinds of languages. Are all all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak other languages? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. I know that's a big chunk, but it all flows Together, And if you were counting, Paul used, depending on what translation you were, you were reading, Paul used the word one at least nine times. Depending on what translation you were reading, he used uh, parts, body, and, and members 30 plus times. Paul is trying to relay a very significant message. Regardless of how many gifts are represented, there are many, many parts, but because they're given by one Spirit. They create one body. And he references the body of Christ and how the church is is the body of Christ, just as Christ's body is one, the body of Christ is one. I know it sounds, it may sound a little confusing, but 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 emphasis is placed on the one to overemphasize the significance of unity within the church. And I think it's significant, not just in Paul's day, but in our day, in a, in a day where churches are disunified all over, all over the world, God's word calls brothers and sisters in Christ to unity. Scripture says that, that, that Jesus is the head of that body in Colossians 1, verse 18. And, and Jesus, while he was doing ministry here on earth, Notice what he said about the spirit, the coming spirit. When he was, when he was predicting his, his death, burial, and resurrection, he was telling the disciples, guys, I'm going to leave, but it's, it's going to be to your benefit that I leave. Because when I, when I leave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send somebody else. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going I'm to send the spirit. He even told the disciples that when I leave, you're going to do more amazing things than I did while I was here. And through the spirit being given to every believer, and gifting each believer with the characteristics Christ demonstrated while he was on this earth, God empowered many to do all across the world what God did through Jesus in Israel. 
So God, what, what Jesus did through the gospels, God has, God has empowered us with that very same spirit to do all across the world. That's what, that's what Jesus meant when he told the disciples that you're going to do even more amazing things than I did when I was on this earth. He sets the tone. Paul set the tone for spiritual gifts in verses 1 through 11 by enforcing the principle that because the gifts are given by one spirit, it's supposed to create and generate a oneness amongst the the believers, all who have that spirit. And then he goes on to the practical side of it, of what that actually looks like. And he uses this, this body analogy metaphor. He uses it and he, he, he sold out to it. And this is something I was thinking about while running this week. What if God created the body in, in, a, in, in the way that he did so that we could better understand how the church was supposed to operate? I don't know if that's what he, I don't know if that's what he did, but what, what if God created the body and all of its intricate details and, and complexities just to show us how unified the body is supposed to work in the church? And when there's a, an injury here or an ailment there, how that affects the rest of the body. And that's why Paul uses this analogy to show the significance of when one member hurts or when one member is unhealthy, its effect on the rest of the body. And he does that in, in these verses, verses 12 through, through 31. Kind of a significant section here is, is verses 18 through 20, where he's, he's talking about how it's supposed to operate and, and that when it doesn't, it's a dumpster fire. Verses 18 through 20, it says, but, but now God has placed parts, each one of them, in the body just as he wanted. God didn't mess up by doing what he did. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. And this, in, the, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a question written to receive a negative response. Paul knows he's asking a question, where would the body be if it was all one part? The answer, the natural answer is, if, if all the body was a hand, it would cease to be a body. And we see that the statement, and if we were all the same part, it's, there is only one answer. It, it, it's not a body. If we're, if, we're, if we're all gifted in the same way, if, we're, if we all have the same gift, that's, that's, that's not a body. He's using it to say if we were all an arm, what good would the body be? And the body is only, the body is only effective when its parts are healthy, diverse and unified. When we have all the parts that God has given us, when we have all the parts of, uh, of our physical body, it's operating in the way that God had created it to. And if in the body of Christ, when, when we have all the gifts that God has given to each believer, when those believers are healthy and they're, they're active in that giftedness that God has given us, it's only then we can fully accomplish what God has called us to do. And God put each and every one of us in this place at this time. Wherever you are, God has put you where you are at this particular time. But he's not just put you there at this particular time. He's, he's gifted you with a very specific gift for a very specific purpose. And we see that through, but now God has placed the parts, each one of them, in the body just as he wanted. God didn't, God didn't mess up. Just like God didn't mess up when he created you, he didn't mess up when he put his spirit in you to accomplish his will, his purposes, his mission in and through you. 
And God did it this way. He distributed different gifts to different individuals for the purpose that we see in verse 25, so that there would be no division. In other words, God did it like this to show us that we need each other. We can't We can't be what God has created us to be on our own. We say that all the time around here, we're better together. And literally, that is is never more clear than it is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We literally need one another. We're talking about growing deeper in the month of October. You cannot grow deeper in your faith as a long-ranger Christian. We need one another. We need one another to be healthy so that we can spur one another on in our faith. We need one another to be actually being active in their spiritual giftedness because when you're spiritually gifted in a particular way, your gift is designed to encourage other people in their giftedness. And when we don't do what God has designed us to do, we are the, the kink in the chain. We are the, the weak link. And because God didn't give any one person every gift, his design is for us to be together, to serve him alongside one another in harmonious unity, because that is the only way he receives all the glory and we receive all the the benefit from living according to his design. I know it's a natural inclination for us to be rebels, but when we buck the system, we jack things up. That's why we say, Lord and Savior. We, 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 it's easy for us to want Jesus to be our Savior, but if we, if we don't accept him as our Lord and we don't bow to him as our Lord, we don't get him as Savior. And submitting to his, his design is a shot to our pride because it's somebody telling us the way that we need to do it, but we have to understand that we have our way and then there's the best way, which is God's way. That's what, the, that's what the Israelites did, the entire Old Testament. God gave them, gave them the law, not to, not to just really dictate how they were supposed to live their life. He gave them a set of guidelines and said, this is the best way to live life. And then we saw the dumpster fire of the Old Testament, how they continued to rebel against God when they rebelled against his design. And we see that in the church today. When we rebel against God's design for the local body the the local church, we see dumpster fires. We see people rebelling against God's design for the church. But we don't give God the glory when we reserve glory for ourselves. We We don't give God the glory when we belittle other people for what we deem as less significant gifts. And when we refuse to operate within our gifting that God has given us, we're telling, it's like we're slapping God in the face saying, God, you messed up when you gave me this gift. And if you're serving somewhere and you're outside of your giftedness, that's probably why you may be feeling some burnout. That may be why your friends or family members have burned out and left the church because they become bitter, bitter toward God because they get, he gifted them in a certain way and they wanted to do this. That's why Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth. He's telling them, it's not about doing it your way. It's about doing it God's way and the way God designed you to do it. In verse 26, because if we're not operating in a healthy way, we will miss the beauty of verse, of verse 26. And it says, so if, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, we 
all, all the members rejoiced with it. And I think this verse, this, this, just this one verse, it tells us just how deep the sin, kind of the, how deep the sin could have been at, at the church at Corinth. Just imagine if, if, one, if one of the members of the church at Corinth could have been going through a very difficult time, it could have experienced a severe spiritual warfare, even a tragic loss. And one of the more spiritual people in the church of Corinth had the attitude of, well, they deserve that. Or if they had been a, a little bit more like me, that wouldn't have happened. Or maybe you don't struggle with, with belittling somebody's gift or, or somebody's situation. Maybe you're on the other side of that where um, it's about rejoicing with them, someone who is honored. Maybe, maybe you, you see someone else receiving praise or a promotion or acknowledgement of some kind. And you might, you might not say it, but you may have the attitude of, that should have been me. I do just as much as they do. I tell you what, I, I could do exactly what, no, no, I, I could do it better than how they do it. These attitudes are ungodly, unhealthy, they're self-seeking, and they only cause division within the church. And it's no coincidence that Paul says it like he says it in, in, in verse 27. He says, now, so he's, he's given us all of this information. He's given us this analogy. And he says, now you're the body of Christ. Almost as if to say, you're experiencing division. It should not be so amongst the body of Christ. And that's, that's why Paul ends this chapter, I think, uh, by setting up chapter 13. Notice what he says at the end of, um, of this chapter, uh, verse 31, I, I use a different translation here in this, in this quote because I like the ESV better here. It says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So he's correcting a, a line of thinking about spiritual giftedness in chapter 12. He's saying these gifts are good. God has given them for a, a good and specific reason. And when you operate according to God's design, you will fulfill the purpose and accomplish God's mission for your life, for the local church. But he says, when you don't, even when you, even when you express this giftedness, if you don't do it with love, it's pointless. And that's why I, I, I don't laugh at weddings when they use passage, chapter, or verses from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, but 1 Corinthians 13 is written about spiritual giftedness. It's not written about marriages. Sorry to burst your bubble, but that's why he goes on, and he, I didn't plan to read this, but I'm going to. It says, this is chapter 13, so he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So the giftedness that you have, You've got a great giftedness. God has given it to you for a very specific purpose to accomplish a very specific mission. But he says the more superior way is to do that gift, express that gift in love, love for God and love for man. He says, if I speak with the languages of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so much faith, so to move some mountains, but I do not have love, I am Nothing, And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I, if I give my body to be burned, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. God gave us the spiritual gifts out of love. He gave us his spirit because he loved us. 
and he intends for his, his giftedness to be given in love. Because if it's not, Paul said, I am nothing. If I had the best of the best gifts and I could, I could do it in the best of ways, it would gain nothing because I don't have love. And this is the picture of what the church is supposed to do, operating in love for God and for others. And this is, this is such a, a, a sensitive issue for me because I, I think we would all acknowledge that, right? But do we live like that? Do we take it seriously? Do we take this, this thing called church, the body of Christ? It's not the four walls. It's the people that are represented here. Do we take it seriously? Because Christians who view the church as it is defined and displayed in the Bible, as the very family of God, they don't run at the first sign of, of trouble. They love one another. They hate sin and they fight temptation together. They are unified on the essentials and don't divide over preferences and opinions. They're faithful to one another and serve God and each other with the ways God has gifted them. And I, I, don't, I don't know where you are spiritually today. I don't, I don't know. You may be thinking, family of God, who, who is this Jesus person that you're talking about? I don't, I don't know anything about this giftedness because I don't, I don't, I've, not, I've never placed faith in Jesus. Well, that's a, that's a perfect place to start. Or maybe you're here and you, you don't know what your gifting is. In order to grow deeper in our relationship with God, we must grow deeper in our understanding of who He is. And we've got to grow in harmony and unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ that are sitting around us. And if we're in disunity and dysfunction, God is calling us to repent. And He's calling us to call it out. And I know we've been talking about growing deeper and and but you can only grow deeper as a disciple of Christ if you first know him. You can't be a disciple if you've never professed faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And so uh, we're going to put a prayer up on the screen. And this, there's no power necessarily in this prayer, but this is what we believe Scripture communicates. It's kind of the, the posture our hearts and our minds must have in order to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And So if you want to pray these words, Father God, you love me so much that you sent your son to be my savior. Jesus, forgive me for my sin and by your grace, restore me to you. Jesus, be the savior and Lord of my life. Help me follow you. I say yes to you today, Jesus. Amen. And if if you prayed that prayer with us today for the very first time, we want to celebrate with you. If you would, just comment and let us know. Let us know that you were here. And if you said yes to Jesus, we want to celebrate because that's the best decision that you will ever make. And it's the first step in growing deeper in your relationship with him. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. 
congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text JESUS, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with them. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.